What a week. What what an incredible week. I mean, from beginning to end. And it's still going. And there is still winning that's happening today. Just incredible. And I'm gonna tell you something, folks. One of the things I'm I'm gratified about now, you know, I don't I don't like to brag. And I don't like to say notice me, but everything happening to the Democrat Party today, if you go back and you look at excerpts of the award-winning broadcast, go to RushLimbaugh.com, you'll find that I predicted this implosion of the Democrat Party. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, you get people writing, well, what happened to Democrats this week? This is unserious. It's worse than unserious. What happened to the Democrat Party is that they have lost their entire moral foundation. (coughs) Excuse me, I got a cold coming on here. And uh, I'm not going to worry about hitting the cough switch as often as they just just bear with me here. I mean, they, they have lost their entire moral foundation and they lost it four years ago. This is what happens. Let this be a lesson to you folks in your personal life with this. What happens when you become consumed with hatred? Hatred is a poison. It destroys you. Uh, because hatred can never be requited. Hatred can never be rewarded. Hatred can never make you happy. Hatred means you're requiring on something painful or bad to happen to other people. And that's just not the way to happiness. That's not the route uh, to success of any kind. And it's where the Democrat Party is. And I'll break this down and I'll explain it in great, great detail as the program unfolds. Our telephone number, if you want to be with us today, is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. So the last time uh, I was here and we were together was Monday. And I have to tell you, it feels like it's been two weeks with everything that has happened since then. But it hasn't. It's, it's, just, it's just been one week. And the last thing that I did on Monday was inform all of you of a medical diagnosis, advanced lung cancer. And I told you Monday that I really wished that I could not announce it because I don't like making things about me. And I promised you that I was not going to live every aspect of this on the air. Millions of you have been through it. It's nothing that millions of Americans aren't experiencing or haven't experienced. So you don't need me sharing all of the details with you. And I wouldn't want to do it anyway, because there's A lot of factors involved, uh, including privacy and distraction. Just know, and by the way, folks, I I don't know really, I'm going to be hopscotching through uh, much of this first hour as thoughts erupt in my fertile gray cells. I don't have anything written here. I don't have any monologues scripted. I I haven't made any notes to make sure that I... Don't forget anything because I'm not worried about forgetting anything. I'm very confident that I'm going to get everything said here today that I want to say. Uh, Despite living in the public eye, I really am a private person for just a host of reasons, most of which I'm that's just who I am. I'm not I want whatever I'm known for to speak for itself during these three hours and. 
uh, and some other things. But I, but you know, I, I'm I'm not interested in being in the news all the time for whatever reason. Of course, I can't help it. I am in the news all the time, but it's not something I seek. Nevertheless, it has been one of the biggest blessings. You know, I understand now when what Lou Gehrig, when he was diagnosed with ALS in the 1920s, he's announcing his retirement. This after he has been the Iron Man. He's played in all these consecutive games that the record wasn't broken until Cal Ripken Jr. came along. And he's standing at home playing at Yankee Stadium. And he said, after having announced and the world knew that he had ALS, everybody knew what it was, that it was fatal and that there was no chance of recovery. And there still isn't, by the way. And Lou Gehrig said, today, I consider myself the luckiest man on earth. I've seen that black and white film replayed numerous times in my life. And don't misunderstand, I know he meant it. But the first two or three times I heard it, I had trouble processing. How in the world can anybody feel lucky after having been told that you have a disease from which there is no recovery and that it's fast. And even though I, there was a part of me that, okay, this is something that famous people are supposed to say. He's been very successful in life. He was uniquely talented to play baseball and all that. And I thought, okay, clearly there is a portion of Lou Lou Gehrig that thinks he has to say this. And now I know that's all wrong. Now I know that there was nothing forced or phony or public relations related about it. Because I feel the same way. I cannot, I cannot thank all of the people that I have heard from since Monday. And they are still getting hold of their people. I had no idea they knew how to get hold of me. Uh, and the the sentiments, the the thoughts they're expressing are just incredibly nice and supportive. And to have this kind of support uh, and to know it, to be fully aware of it, yeah, it does make me one of the luckiest people alive. And I... I'm trying to respond to everybody. I haven't even made a dent in it. I haven't had a whole lot of time to, but I've, I've, I'm going to try. Some people have written, <coughs> excuse me, three or four times. And other people are suggesting, hey, I know this treatment. I know this hospital. I know this treatment place you need to call. I thank you for all of that. I just am inundated with so much love and support more than more than I ever knew and it's it's really true when I sit here think about how lucky I am that all this has happened to me now I know many of you want to know the story of the state of the union address on Tuesday night and how that all happened and someday I hope to be able to tell you the entire story. I can't tell you the entire story now without divulging uh, 
medical details that I frankly don't want to give uh, people an opportunity to start investigating and writing about and pronouncing uh, opinions and this kind of thing. People know enough about about what I have. It's, it's late stage. It's uh, advanced lung cancer. But there's good news associated with the diagnosis and the treatment. So we are where I am to have the first procedure that will set up the beginning of treatment. This is Tuesday. And it is scheduled for 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We took no clothes, Catherine and I. We just, we went Grub City with shorts, T-shirts. I mean, the whole week is going to be in the hospital. There's no reason to take a coat and tie. There's no reason to uh, pack a whole bunch of stuff that you're never going to use. Light was the byword. The procedure was going to be 5 o'clock in the afternoon. have to show up for it at 12 noon to do the prep, talk to the doctors, and so forth. 9 a.m. Phone rings. I've got the number in my address book, so it's the White House. So I answered the phone, and they said, can you you hold for President Trump? I said, yes. Rush! Rush, how you doing, buddy? Great to hear from you. Hey, look, what are you doing later today? I said, well, I have a serious medical procedure that's going to start all this at 5 o'clock. Well, look, what's the doctor's name? I want to call him and have him delay it for a couple days because I need you down here tonight. I said, uh, Mr. President, um, I, I'm, 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 I'm stunned. He's, he said, look, your health comes first. There's no question, but, but, but can't they just do half of what they're going to do and then, and then send you down here? I mean, what, it, believe me, you don't want to miss this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss this. Well, I don't know what's up. I mean, he told me that he was going to, he wanted me to be his guest at the State of the Union, was going to mention my name, recognize me. Hung up the phone, and for the next hour and a half, I agonized. I I literally agonized over what to do. Catherine and I are both sitting in the hotel room. As time is marching on, we're faced with the possibility of having to ask an entire medical team to broom their schedule and reschedule to accommodate this. But we haven't told them yet. We're discussing the logistics. Now, there's something else. Uh, Earlier that day, I had sent EIB-1 to take my nieces from New York to Cape Girardeau, and it wasn't going to be available to me until 4.30 in the afternoon. So I'm putting that in the equation. I mean, there's no way to even get there, even if I want to. Unless we charter, we could, all, we could do that. But no clothes, no shirt, no tie, no socks. I mean, not, no dress shoes. Zip, zero, nada. Catherine's saying, you've got to do that. You can't not do this. I said, how are we going to do it? She said, leave it to me. Hour and a half later... Call the president back. Tried to tell him no. Remember, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I just, he has told me, by the way, I should, he has told me that he's going to present me with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but a couple weeks from now in the Oval Office. I had no idea at this point on Tuesday morning this was going to happen, State of the Union. And he didn't tell me. 
during all these phone calls. So I call him back around 1030, intending to be as persuasive as I could to thank him and just say that, that there was too much here that, to overcome to get down there, including the medical schedule, the doctors and everything that had been. And this this story, if, if I could, and someday I'm going to be able to give you every detail here, but for people that do not know Donald Trump, this story will explain him, his essence, his attitude toward life. There simply is nothing you can't do. There's nothing that can't be done, and there's not a single obstacle that can't be dealt with. And it's not even hard. It's not even—he didn't have to stop and think for a moment about this. Now, granted, he's got presidential power. If he wants to clear us into Reagan National, if he wants to send a car for us and get us from the airport to the—he can do all of that. But he was, but and he did, and he was willing. But but the fact was that this is what he wanted, but not for him. You see, it was for me, and he wasn't going to let me talk myself out of it. Part of me is not wanting to create any problems for him. I mean, he's got so many more important things to do than deal with logistics. And I told him, I said, you think I'm going to do it? I got people here. What do you mean? I'm going to call a guy here in an hour. All this will be done. All you got to do is just find a way to get with the, get the clothes. So Catherine, this was just, this was amazing too. Catherine got in gear. And again, without divulging too much in about, we went and met the doctor. We kept the appointment at noon to discuss what was going to happen sign the papers, get as much of the procedure out of the way as we could, and then to tell the doctor, hey, I have been uh, summoned to Washington. It, can, can this be moved to tomorrow? Sure. It's not a problem. In fact, show up at 5.30 tomorrow morning before anybody else gets here. We'll get it started. We'll get it... Ro-. Everybody was just as cooperative helpful as they could be. We get back from the meeting with the doctors about two hours, and in our hotel room is 15 sport coats, different sizes, four or five different ties, a bunch of shirts, different sizes. And all I had to do was try on various things and find an outfit that fit. I did have, take it back, I did have a pair of slacks because it was cold where we went. So I wasn't wearing, she had some shorts with me, but I did wear slacks. And the slacks come from a suit. But, I mean, we were looking at even sending the plane down to Florida to get my suit and a tie. But I couldn't because it was on the way to Missouri. So, anyway, Catherine arranged for a bunch of stuff to be delivered from local retail outlets, including for her. She had nothing either. Nothing that would be suitable for the house chamber. Pardon me? Yeah, it was stuff off the road. What are you going to do? There's no time for a tailor. There's no time for a seamstress. Yeah, that's why there was 15 different sport coats, Mr. Snurdly. That's why there are four or five different shirts, different neck sizes, sleeve lengths. I told them what I wear, but you never know. From, from manufacturer to manufacturer, brand to brand, nothing's consistent in clothes. In, there was only one 
of the of the whatever it was, ten or fifteen, only one that fit. Only one that I could button. The sleeve length was perfect, but only one that I could button. What do you mean? You're used you're used to what over here on the other I you're oh you're used to off the look, I don't have a tailor either. What do you people think I have somebody makes my suit? When's the last time you saw me in a suit? It was in December and that's an off the rack suit. I haven't bought a suit in ten years because I don't like clothes shopping. Because precisely because nothing does fit off the rack. I get better things to do to sit there and be measured three or four times to get it right. And if that was what was was somewhat miraculous about this, is that Catherine got enough delivered that something worked. And when when I saw the ties, so these are the dullest ties. I don't wear invisible ties like this. Is I said I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but this is this is this is how they interpreted what you said you want. Turned out to be perfect. The tie turned out to be the perfect color for what was to come later. Anyway, I got to take a break. Uh, There's still a lot to this uh, story. And there's more than I can tell you today about Donald Trump and who he is and why he's unbeatable. Folks, he's indomitable. There's these, these clowns. The Democrats, they still have no idea what they're up against. They haven't the slight. There's nobody. There's nobody in the Democrat Party. There's nobody in American politics that even comes close to the personality and the the overall attitude towards life of Donald Trump. It's incredible. Now, look, in, in this story, we're not even at the White House yet. I still have a ways to go in explaining what all happened here on, on Tuesday. But there's not enough time in this segment. I kind of went overboard in the first one, so so bear with me here. I just want to reiterate something. You look at what happened in Iowa. And I'll give you, I told the president there was a meeting. I'm jumping ahead, but there was a meeting in the Yellow Oval. Teddy Roosevelt loved the Oval Office so much, he had an exact replica built in the residence. And it's yellow. It's the same dimensions as the Oval Office in the West Wing. The entire Trump family is there. And the subject of the Democrats' meltdown in Iowa, the Hawkeye Hawkeye came up. And I said, Mr. President, don't you find it a little ironic? These people running around the last four years claiming you cheated with Russia. You're going to cheat in 2020. And look what happened. These people, Silicon Valley running their operation, they can't even count votes. When are they going to blame Russia for this? When are they going to blame you for this? And he got a big laugh out of it. What a bunch of incompetent, arrogant, more on this in a minute. Half my brain tied behind my back still. Just to make it fair, the EIB Network and Rush Limbaugh wrapping up. Oh, by the way, it's open line Friday, so when we get to the phones about a quarter to three this afternoon, whatever you want to talk about will be fun. No, I hope to be able to get the phones much, uh, much, much sooner than that. Um. This experience that Catherine and I had, and look, folks, I have to look. I've, I've known Donald Trump for years, and I've been really fortunate the past year. Played golf with him a number of times when he's down here, down in, in Florida, uh, and I've gotten to know him personally. I know Donald Trump when I saw him come down the escalator. I know I've known Donald Trump from the moment he got into this, and I knew he was going to win two weeks after he got into this. And I never had any doubts about it. And I 
fully, totally understand the Democrats' discombobulation with it. They have no idea what they're up against. They still don't. The deep state, all these people that have tried to run Donald Trump out of town, they just, they have no idea, folks. They have, they literally, I don't think, know anybody like him, which is a shame. They don't know people like Donald Trump. They may even have disdain for people like Donald Trump. If you look at Donald Trump's life, he's lived a full and complete life, and not everything has been um, what we would characterize as exemplary, but that's the point. He's lived. He has gotten everything life has to offer, and he's not finished. And he attacks it each and every day, and he has no... What's the word? He's, he's, got, he's got no... Um, Self-doubt. He doesn't let what other people might think of what he wants to do stop him from doing it or from saying what he wants to say. He's just a unique personality. And the fact that the political establishment, in fact, in some of both parties don't understand it is uh, not hard to understand because there is a way of doing things, the standard operating procedure in electoral politics and you can see the contrast go watch watch any democrat during the hawkeye caucus the lead up and then that night when the vote mess happened and listen to any of them talk in every speech even the hand gestures are rehearsed focus grouped the words that they say focus grouped practiced none of it is real and all of it is pandering every bit of it is pand- Mitt Romney epitomizes the pandering Romney is pandering to other losers. For some reason, Romney thinks this is his route to victory. He hasn't slightest idea what his future is. But it doesn't include victory. Not even close. And he's going to find out sooner than later. But in this day, this past Tuesday, there was simply no way it wasn't going to happen. And he never made a demand. I want to try to be clear about this so that as many of you as possible understand the personalities. There's no, there, there was no demanding. There was nothing offensive. There was nothing belittling. There was nothing. It's a unique person that is, in, that, that, that is able to persuade people to do what they want and make them happy they're doing it, even when they don't think they can. In Donald Trump's world, there simply is... No, can't. Especially when it comes to when it comes to trying. So we tell him late in the afternoon on Tuesday that we're going to accept the invitation. He's thrilled. He was ecstatically happy. But as I was to learn later, not for himself. He um, pardon the sniffles here, folks. I told you I've got a little bit of a bronchial congestion chest cold coming on at any rate he's he's uh he's on the phone and saying look of course of course your health comes first there's no question you got to put your health first can't the doctor take some of it out now and then go get the rest of it tomorrow what's his name it was but there was never a demand there was there just wasn't any way we were going to be able to decline it that just wasn't going to happen. We figured that out. 
and then all the logistics fell into place. And we arrived in Washington and were picked up and taken to the White House. We were met by Hogan Gidley in the communication shop. We went to the library in the White House, which is um, it's off the diplomatic entrance area. It's near the, the elevator to the uh, residence, where the first lady was posing for photos with all of the people who were being recognized in the gallery that night. And we were last in line on purpose because after we posed for the photo with the first lady, we were then escorted to the uh, to the residence to meet the Trump family in the yellow oval. Again, that is a room in the residence. It's not far down the hall. If, it's, uh, if you keep walking past it, you'll run into the Lincoln bedroom and the Queen's bedroom. And it's the exact dimensions of the Oval Office in the West Wing. Teddy Roosevelt loved that room. He had it made for the residents. The exact measurements with the predominant color being yellow. Hang on here just a second, folks. So we're escorted into the room by Mrs. Trump, and we chat with her for two or three minutes, and then the Trump family began to come in, Ivanka, Donald Jr., Eric, their wives, spouses, and then the president came in and sat down and started uh, talking about the award and the medal and what it means and how special it is and how uh, thrilled he was that we were able to make it. And, folks, uh, I, I don't know if I should – I'm just going to – I'm going to go ahead and, and tell you this. I, I realize that it's going to open the floodgates of a bunch of people in the media. But at this stage, I don't care. And I never have cared, and I'm not going to start caring now what they say. One of the reasons I was reluctant was I just wasn't sure I deserved this. You look at – I mean, it's the highest civilian honor – that the country awards. It's the exact same award that Congress give, the Congressional Medal of Honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's the exact same thing. Uh, there are different requirements. Uh, military people who qualify are awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor uh, with sometimes a ceremony at the White House, but this is the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And there was a part of me I'm a radio talk show host, and I sit here behind this microphone, and I, and I talk. And I'm, this is, by the way, nothing new. Remember when I was at the National Review 50th anniversary dinner in Washington? Some of you will remember this story. I'm sitting at Mr. Buckley's table, and a man walks up to me who has been severely wounded in battle. And he asks if I could come over to his table to meet others at his table who also have been wounded. So I did. And I got over there and, and I was listening to these guys who have nearly died defending the country, telling me how much they enjoy listening to my program. And all. That. And I said to these guys, I said, you know, I... I, I don't know, guys. You've faced bullets, almost died. I sit behind a 
microphone in an enclosed room and talk. And the leader of the Wounded Warriors said, Sir, we all have our role. And I've never forgotten that. And I remember when I started questioning, gee, is this something I really have uh, earned or deserved? I remembered that statement from the, I mean, really severely wounded. We all have our roles. And then I said, I can't. I can't react to this in a way that diminishes their appreciation. I can't sit here and say, oh, come on, guys. You know, I'm not worth this. You can't do that. It means everything in the world to them that I came over and they wanted to tell me this. And so you can't, you can't phony up the humility and, and act it. So I gutted it up and I told them how much I appreciated it, how stunned I was, how much it meant to me to know that they were out there. And it was a great evening. So the same thing. Decided, okay, you know, drop this, drop this business that the president wants to give it to you. That's all that matters. You, 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 you've got to do it. But I just, I'm jumping back in time because that was one of the um, items of when we're deciding whether to do this or not. And I didn't tell Catherine. Catherine's hearing this for the first time. I think I may have said, "You think I really deserve?" I don't know, but I don't think I did. So. We get there, president's talking, and we have the joke about the Democrats in Iowa. And he's sitting on a an ottoman, a footstool. We're on sofas facing each other. Mrs. Trump, other family members, he's on an ottoman by himself, no ties, where he's got his jacket on, crisp white shirt, unbuttoned. And I said, you know, I couldn't do this. Whenever I used to do anything like this, like a big speech or rush, I had to be alone with no distractions. I I couldn't have a bunch of people around me. I said, now one of the reasons I don't none of it was scripted and I had lived everything, so I needed to make sure my brain was working and not distracted. And and he said, no, this is this this we love this. We love this is this is historic. We've got such a great story to tell. You know, there, Donald Trump is not ashamed to trumpet his accomplishments and achievements because they're real he does have his own version of humility you have to know how to spot it it happens at every rally Donald Trump will tell everybody in the world how much he appreciates their support one way or the other could be 30 seconds could take him two minutes but everybody at a Trump rally knows that he appreciates them and doesn't take any of their support their presence for granted. So then, after this and the joking about the Democrats and my suggesting that maybe the Russians were behind this disaster in Iowa, it was time to leave. And this was something I never knew. I never knew how all of this happened. All those guests sitting up there with the First Lady in the gallery, I never knew how it all happened. But now I do. And I will tell you when we get back. Okay, so the way they get everybody over, uh, and I'm, I'm truncating this, they've got a couple of um, buses, minivans that they, uh, they're very nice, don't misunderstand minivan. They put all the guests in, and the guests are the tail end of the caravan. It is a massive caravan, the more SUVs I've ever seen in a row. And we left the White House about 8.15 to get over there, and they hustle you in uh, to the gallery, 
and you sit down, and I've never been in the gallery. Oh, yeah, I have in the Senate, never in the House. I have seen the House chamber from floor level. You're not allowed to go out there if you're not a member. And it was pretty full. Then we got there at 8.30, and all the Republicans are just, they're looking up and they're waving thumbs up. It was... I don't. It it was so. It was. It was so inspiring and gratifying. And there was just a. If you can imagine an envelope or a, 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 like a wave of warmth, that just swept over me, sitting there. Every Republican congressman, every senator, every looking down there, and then to see the Democrats not doing a thing and they're dressed in all white and so forth, and it was. It was just it was just a moving moving night and sitting there can't believe we're there can't believe it happened can't believe it all came together and then it happened almost every american family knows the pain when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness here tonight is a special man beloved by millions of americans who just received a stage four advanced cancer diagnosis. This is not good news, but what is good news is that he is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country. This is the the House chamber, the State of the Union. My mom and dad would not have believed it. kind of thing was not possible. And Rush, in recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity. I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Now, I thought this was coming in a couple weeks in the Oval Office. Somebody jab me, turn to your right, turn to your right, turn away from the first lady. Okay. I will now ask the first lady of the United States to present you with the honor, please. And Pelosi's going nuts. That's when she starts ripping up the speech. Pelosi's so ticked off she can't see straight.
have no idea what this is like. Of all the things you think might happen Rush to you in your life, Catherine, this... congratulations. Thank you, Catherine. This is not one of them. I've got to take a break. There's one other thing about this I have to impart, though, so stick with us. For me, the highlight, though, was Sergeant Williams brought back from Afghanistan, hadn't seen his kids and his wife in years. That moment, he came down those steps. You have to have been there to understand the power of that moment. Go to somebody number 21. This is Howie Carr, who was on uh, Tucker Carlson's show on the Fox News Channel on Wednesday night. And Howie Carr said, why not just say, why not just say I disagree with Rush Limbaugh? Why does every disagreement have to have to be kind of perverted into a race conversation? Okay, they disagree with Rush. Fine. But why do they have to call everyone they dislike a racist? Every time. That's Tucker Carlson asking Howie Carr. That's the way it is uh, with liberals. If they disagree with you, ergo, you are a racist. And it doesn't matter that Russia's raised millions of dollars for charities, leukemia foundations, uh, with the Betsy Ross t-shirt more recently. He's done all that. He's a historical figure in in American politics, I would say, and in the radio industry. I'll tell you one thing, he never rode around on uh, Jeffrey Epstein's uh, jet, unlike a a certain former president of the United States. He never tried to cow uh, Ronan Farrow into stopping his uh, exposés of Harvey Weinstein, like Hillary Clinton's people did. It's ridiculous. It's really uh, loathsome. All of that is a is is a is a good point. It's clearly, clearly a two way street. Um, and then the vice president. This is what I was looking for. This is vice president. As I mentioned, he called me after the State of the Union on Tuesday as we were headed back to the airport. And let's see. He was. This is Wednesday morning on a Fox. Wait a minute. Yeah, Fox News Channel. Fox and Friends. And Ducey said, your longtime friend Rush Limbaugh, president awarded him the Medal of Freedom. Rush didn't see it coming. It always happens in the White House, not Congress. So Rush didn't see it coming. I reached him shortly after he and Catherine left the Capitol, and uh, he was very moved and uh, told me that he was going to spend the rest of his life trying to earn it. And I said, Rush, uh, you've already earned it. Everything you've done to uphold uh, values and ideals that have made this country great. Uh, Rush told me last night that his wife said that uh, God is working in all of this. And uh, I believe that moment, which the president, we all found out about Rush. And then uh, the president just had this thought to say, I want to have you come to the State of the Union. But then he said, I know you've got some medical procedures this week, but I'd like to have you there. But he didn't tell him he was going to give him the highest civilian honor. Yeah. Um, and so you know, there were people when it happened. They said, OK, you've got to turn to the right. You've got to turn away from the first lady. It's okay. And it was a special night. 